today, I want to deliver a message to you entitled, grab your seats. What is it? You got it? Judgment Day. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Judgment Day. Years ago, uh, Judge Wapner, anybody remember Judge Wapner? He was on television series called, uh, anybody remember? People's Court. Uh, and that show was so popular that it started a whole bunch of other uh, judge shows, uh, reality, court, courtroom reality shows. Uh, who can name a, a, another one or two? Judge, judge Judy. What? Now, ju- okay. Anybody else? All right. You see, so you guys know it. Just Mathis and Hatchet and Judy. And you know, Hatchet's a really bad name for a judge, don't you all think? <laughs> judge Hatchet. Oh my gosh, I don't want him. <laughs> And if, it, and if that isn't enough, there's actually a, an entire network called uh, Court TV that's uh, dedicated to the subject. You, know, you turn it on and you get to watch people being judged all day long, all day long. And so apparently we seem to enjoy uh, watching folks get a taste of justice as long as we're not the ones standing in front of the judge. Can I get an Amen. Now, uh, uh, I'm going to tell on myself, but how many of you have ever had to stand before the judge before? Raise your hands. All right. Uh, can, can I tell you a story? All right, cool. I was going to tell you even if you said no. <laughs> a lot of years. I've only had to stand before a judge one time in my life, and it was enough for me to never have to want to do it again. And uh, I, was in the, I was in the military. Uh, matter of fact, I think, uh, yeah, I was still in the military. And uh, me and a bunch of guys went uh, went out, and we were going to uh, we were going to pick mushrooms, um, and not the kind that you buy at the store. Just saying. And uh, I had a black Firebird, and it wasn't just black. I had spray painted it black with cans of flat black spray paint, the whole thing. It used to be puke yellow. Let me t- let me help you out. And I had great, great big mag tires on the back and little tires in the front. Had a hood latch kit on it. It was a fake hood latch kit, but it still looked pretty bad. And uh, I, uh, my tags expired. And so my partner, uh, he had some tags on his El Camino. And so I took the tags off his El Camino and I put it on my Firebird. And me and him, it was actually just the two of us, we took off to go to this field where we knew we could get mushrooms. Uh, I'm sorry, it was just, it was B.C., it was before Christ, so bear with me, all right? I'm telling you my judge story, all right? And so um, we took off, and uh, we were hiring kites early in the morning, and uh, we stopped at a restaurant. There was a cop car there at the restaurant, uh, but we went ahead and stopped and had breakfast and everything, because, you know, as far as we were concerned, we hadn't done anything wrong. We didn't have any mushrooms, and uh, so we, we left, and we went and went to our field, and I don't know, we got several bags of mushrooms. And we're on our way back, and there's a roadblock. And we're high, there's bags of mushrooms in the trunk of this flat black <laughs> sprayed with, I mean, if I didn't look guilty, just the car itself looked like this is a guilty guy right here, right? 
And uh, so we were like, oh, Lord. Well, we, didn't say, we didn't say Lord, but we said something. But anyway, we pulled up, and the cop uh, looked uh, down in my window, and I could see in my rearview mirror another cop behind my car, and I could see in my rearview mirror him going like this. And then the cop in my window said, we've been looking for you all day long. Oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. Well, for whatever reason... They did not search our car. They gave me a ticket for fake license, <laughs> uh, fake plates in the back. But I had to go to the, stand before the judge. And I'm in the military, so not only am I worried about what's going to happen in front of this judge, but if I get busted by this judge, I'm getting busted when I get back over to the base. And that's just how it works, because I'm government property. And uh, I was so scared. Um, so I stood there in front, of, in front of that judge. And he, he said something like, Do you know how severe this penalty could be? And I'm like, Sir, no, sir. You know, I'm doing everything short of peeing my pants. I mean, I'm in. <laughs> and he told me, he went on to tell me the number of years that I could serve, how big the fine could be for what I had done. And what I didn't realize is that an El Camino uh, actually stands classified as a truck. And in Louisiana, the truck plates are different than the car plates. And so it was easy to see that on my car I had truck plates. Well, I ended up getting fined. I got fined, well, I think I got fined 200 bucks or something. So I really got off well. But um, I was so terrified that my life as I knew it was potentially coming to an end that very day standing in front of that judge. And I chose that was the last time I was ever going to stand in front of a judge. You know, um, we need to know that someday we're all going to stand in front of a judge. And let me just help you with something. It ain't no television judge. All right? And it ain't some Louisiana judge that decided to give an airman a break. Because I think that's what he did. He probably had a, a clear picture of what could happen to me if I got sent to jail. Uh, and, and we're going to stand before the judge, God Almighty himself. And as scared as I was standing in front of that Louisiana judge for truck plates on a flat black firebird, well... I'm not scared to stand in front of this judge. And there's a reason why I'm not scared to stand in front of this judge. And I want to talk to you about that today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it, it, it's appointed. Oh, let me, there's a handout. Those of you who did not get a handout, ushers help me out real quick. Uh, take it, uh, I'm sorry about that, I forgot. If you did not get a handout, raise your hands, they'll bring you one. Uh, Hebrews 9 27, it's appointed for men, for people, to die once, and after that, the judgment. So there is a judgment. We're all going to stand before the judge. Now, how many of you all are from a denomination where a part of your uh, liturgy was to uh, uh, quote the Apostles' Creed? If you, if you came from that background, you had to uh, quote, there's quite a few here. So if you have uh, 
if you've quote, ever quoted the Apostles' Creed, you've declared that you believe that there is a coming judge of the quick and of the dead. In other words, the living and the dead. It's part of your <coughs> excuse me, religious background to, to quote the Apostles' Creed. And you said that, what is it, every Sunday, every service that you got, you quoted the Apostles' Creed, which said that you believed that there's a, there's a coming, he is coming to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, even in our uh, bylaws uh, as a church, Resurrection Life Church, uh, we have a thing called the Statement of Faith or Tenets of Faith. And number 12 in our Statement of Faith written in there, it goes like this. It says, we believe that all will be judged. The saints for their works, the sinners to damnation. Dun, 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 dun. And Satan and all his demons to the lake of fire. Woohoo! But you need to know that this is, a, this is number 12 in our statement of faith here at Resurrection Life Church. And many of you may say, well, you, you've never preached on this the whole seven years that you've been here. I can't, you know, I have to admit that, that although I've mentioned judgment here and there, I've never preached solely on the subject in all the years that I've been a pastor. It's not because I've been afraid of the subject. I just, like, for whatever reason, I haven't, Okay. And actually, that's quite convicting now. Maybe after Pastor Barkley being here on Wednesday night and speaking to us a little bit about um, having an eternity mindset. And I think he even spoke a little bit about uh, judgment. But the reason that I feel the conviction is because the writer of Hebrews uh, speaks about the subject of eternal judgment. And he talks about that subject as one of the basic fundamentals of beginning your Christian life is an understanding of eternal judgment. So then, therein lies where I'm convicted that I had not preached it more often. Many people are like, I'm so glad you haven't preached it more often. All right, but here we go. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. All my scriptures today are going to be up on the board. Um, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, elementary principles of Christ, most basic principles of Christ, the most fundamental beginning of the learning about Jesus Christ. Let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of, what's it say? Eternal judgment. Say eternal. Every time in my message today, my, my plan is to have you repeat after me. If you hear me say the word eternity or eternal or forever, is to repeat that, that single word. You see, we see in this passage of Scripture that this is one of the basic principles of, of, of Christianity. It's an understanding of eternal judgment. Thank you. Well, you got it already. And so this is number one, actually, on your, on your handout. The subject of eternal judgment and it's, is that it's an elementary principle. It is a fundamental or foundational teaching. So I'm not preaching a message about judgment day because I'm angry or I, I need to... I need to pierce somebody specifically their heart. 
It's because this is an important message that we should all understand. Pastor Barkley spoke to us on Wednesday night that, that mankind today is not very eternity-minded. And most Christians are not eternity-minded. We are mindful of the here and the now. And what do I feel right now? Or how, what plan do I have for five years? Or what retirement plan do I have? So following is an excerpt that I want to read to you from the Albert Barnes commentary regarding eternal judgment. Okay? See, I'm trying to get eternity in your mind and in your mindset. See, because we can't wrap our heads around it. We, we really can't fathom that part of life. What is eternal? How, what's the measurement? You know, we, 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 don't have, we can only fathom what's right now and next year, maybe. And many of us don't even know what's happening, or don't, at least don't even have a plan for five years from now or whatever. Are you with me? Say amen. So listen now, listen carefully. I'm going to read directly from the Albert Barnes commentary regarding eternal judgment. This is the sixth element or principle of religion. It is that there will be a judgment whose... No, I didn't ask you to say judgment. What did I ask you to say? So there will be... You're getting your chance right here, bro. That there will be a judgment whose consequences will be eternal. eternal. Judgment is not what I want you to get planted in your brain. We're going to talk about judgment. What I want to get planted in your brain is eternity. Forever. Eternal. Ready? Hey, bro, you keep helping me out, okay? (laughs) You're awesome. I gotta come down here and give him a high five because I went, you know, I kind of pointed at him, corrected him a little bit right here in front of God and everybody. And but you control your man. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Blay that woman you gave me. <laughs> All right, I, I guess I better start again, right? Uh, years ago, Judge Wapner. No, I won't go that far back. This is the sixth element or principle of religion. It is that there will be a judgment whose consequences will be eternal. There will be no appeal from the sentence, nor will there be any reversal of the judgment then pronounced. What is decided then will be determined forever. The approval of the righteous will fix their state eternally in heaven And in like manner, the condemnation of the wicked will fix their doom forever in hell. See, we're talking about some stuff that you just don't talk about in today's user-friendly church. Damnation, hell, judgment, fire. Let me preach my message, okay? Would you control your woman? He says, I can't control her. <laughs> I'll preach about heaven on another Sunday. All right? You better amen me on that Sunday, too. All right, good. 
Now I got to start all over again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so fix their doom forever in hell. This doctrine was one of the earliest that was taught by the Savior and his apostles and is taught in the New Testament perhaps with more frequency than any other. Wow. And yet probably heard from the pulpit less than any message. So, yeah, exactly. To me, that's convicting. The decision of that day will continue forever. What is decided will be determined. The approval of the righteous will fix their state eternally in heaven, and in like manner the condemnation of the wicked will fix their doom forever in hell. Aren't you glad you came today? All right, now I'm going to hold you off on repeating after me. I'll ask you to repeat after me at certain points. Is that cool? That way I can get a rhythm going here. Thank you, brother. Friends, eternity is what's in the balance. We need to understand that, that eternity is in the balance as it relates to your decision for Christ. And let me help you. Your decision for Christ is more than just a sinner's prayer at the altar. Or your decision not to accept Christ or a decision to reject Christ, you need to understand something. Eternity is in the balance. This is an important message. Not only is it important because eternity is in the balance, but an understanding of eternal judgment is one of the basic fundamental foundations of Christianity. Problem is we can't wrap our finite thinking around an infinite idea. We can't grasp the expanse of eternity. I heard one person put it this way. You know, if you were to go to the farthest reaches of outer space, which we don't even know where the farthest reaches are, and, you know, and outer space is supposedly endless, so let's just say that somehow you were to get to the farthest reaches of outer space, and there's a wall. Well, then how thick is the wall? How long does the wall go before there's something on the other side of the wall? And then how far does that go? I mean, our, our finite brains just cannot wrap around what is infinite. Are you with me? Pastor Barkley spoke to us Wednesday about being eternity-minded. The problem is that many, and this is number two on your paper, many Christians today are not living their lives with eternity thinking, but rather with cultural thinking, with traditions, with assumptions, and with emotional feelings. I didn't say the world. Many Christians today are living around these ideas. What does culture say? What's the tradition that we've always had? What do I assume to be correct about the Word of God? And how do I feel about it? And that's how many Christians live their life, and they don't have an eternity-mindedness. Pastor Barkley spoke to us about, as, as all these horrible, tragic shootings have been taking place, that what's hit his mind is, what happened to that person in eternity? Did they, did they know Christ? Did they go to heaven? Did they reject Christ? Did they go to hell? To have this eternity-mindedness about us. So friends, there is a judgment day. And judgment day will be measured by something 
that's eternal, that's already been spoken. And the eternal that I'm talking about is the Word of God that is forever. Everybody say forever. Forever settled in heaven. Uh, you know, not one jot, not one tittle, not one, and put it in American thinking, one dotting of the I or crossing of the T will ever pass away until that which is perfect has come, but his word will last forever. Say forever. And we can't grasp what does forever mean. We like to put a deadline on when that ends. Okay? And so what I'm talking about is the thing that will judge us is his word. This is the eternal. The word is eternal. The word is final. There are no exceptions to it. There are no revisions to it. There are no alterations to it. I know there's different translations of the Bible, but any one of those translations that speaks differently, I mean radically differently, probably needs to be something that's thrown out a little bit. Right on? See, they, all the translations must have a central message that's saying, and pretty much should get the same message no matter which translation you read it, read it from. So the word is forever. I'm a Holy Ghost man, and I'm a word man. I believe in my B-I-B-L-E. Amen? If it says it, that good, that's good enough for me. All right? Now, I know a lot in this millennial generation, they need to have a little bit more evidence than the Bible says so, and I get that because a lot of Religions for many, many years have been saying the Bible says well, but not been living according to what it says, and then holding people in judgment over that opinion. So I want the Word to not just be something bound in cowhide or fake leather or a device. I want the Word to be something that's real and believable in your life. And it's my goal to make sure that the Word remain something that's tangible and reasonable and believable to you, but not just to say, well, it's true because the Word says so. It is true because the Word says so, but that should not be my final reason for what I believe. Can I get an amen from the millennials in the house? Apparently, they don't say amen. So it would benefit us to know what God says. Amen? And then live by it rather than assuming what it might say. That's important. John chapter 12, verse 48 says this, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him already. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You know what you'll be judged by in the last day? And I'm not talking about what's bound in cowhide. His word in totality. Now, what we have right now, we believe is totality, and it's right here. That's why whatever this says, I'm going to believe it even if I don't understand it. Thank you for your enthusiastic grunt. So I want you to see the same passage of Scripture from the Passion Translation. It goes like this. If you reject me and refuse to follow <laughs> my words... You already have a judge. The message of truth I've given you will rise up to judge you at the day of judgment. So, <laughs> I heard a story about a person who was from Holland, not Michigan, but Dutch Holland. And in Holland, it is legal to smoke marijuana. 
And so you can, you can be with your friends and you can, you can rip out a joint and it's all cool. And this guy went to Singapore, which was completely illegal to have any kinds of drugs. In fact, based on the, the level and number of drugs that you have, it could equal death in Singapore to have drugs. He was busted. I don't even remember for how much, but he was busted in Singapore. And he didn't understand why he was in trouble because where he was from, it was okay. And they were saying, we're not judging you by Holland law. You're in Singapore, so you'll be judged by Singapore law. So what's my point? So he had some confusion about what was going to judge him in the end. You don't have to have any confusion about what's going to judge you at the end. This right here will be the judge over you. It will be the judgment that you'll have on, guess what, Judgment Day. And by the way, if you look carefully, you'll see that Judgment Day almost always in almost all translation is capitalized. It's important. Scripture also states that we cannot choose to observe just a percentage of what's in it. Well, I believe in the tithe, so I'm only going to believe 10% of what the Word says. Or I'm only going to believe 50% of what the Word says. Or I'm only going to believe that part which I believe is culturally relevant to me right now. So 10% of it I don't believe in because that's just old school, judgmental stuff. And yet, brothers and sisters, friends, that judgmental stuff will judge you in the final day. Believers, unbelievers. So you can't just choose to believe a percentage. Number three on your paper, it's when we carefully observe all of his word in its entirety to the very best of our ability. Now I need to add that part because we're human beings. We are not perfect. But we must give it our very best. It is when we carefully observe all of his word in its entirety to the very best of our ability, that's when you can have sure footing on judgment day. I'm not afraid of judgment day. Because although I fail, I'm doing everything in my ability according to the power that I have and the power of the Holy Spirit working in me to do everything that's written in there. Do I, am I successful at it all? No. <laughs> none, of us are, none of us are. We all fail at it. But by gummies, I'm going to give my father the best that Rick Lopez has. I'm going to give the word the best Rick Lopez has. On any given day, that might vary <laughs> what the best is. Though there'll be many, brothers and sisters, there'll be many <coughs> who are going to be shocked when they stand before Jesus at the judgment. You might think, not me. I don't know. The greatest number of these people that are going to be shocked aren't going to be unbelievers. It's going to be Christians. Well, how can you say such a thing? Are you that skeptical of us Christians? No, I'll just let the Word do the work for me. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who 
actually do the will, here it is by the way, the will of my Father in heaven will enter on judgment day, everybody say judgment day. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, now here's where I know that it's not unbelievers. We have prophesied in your name. Can I help you unbelievers don't do that? Good Christian folks do that. We have prophesied in your name. We have cast out demons in your name. Can I help you? Unbelievers don't cast out demons. They invite them in. Believers cast out demons. So, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. And the Lord says, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So there's going to be a whole lot of people standing at judgment that's going to be surprised. And I tell you, it won't be the unbelievers. It'll be Christians who will be surprised. Another subject associated with Judgment Day that isn't talked about much these days in modern-day churches is the subject of hell. Everybody say hell. In fact, there are books written by some wacky pastors who say there is no hell. Or hell is whatever trouble you're in right now. Not according to my Jesus. That isn't true. Well, hell's just an old school Hebrew myth. Well, explain that to God on Judgment Day. That's all I got to say. I'd rather be safe than sorry. Come on, somebody. Right on? Uh, another subject, as I said, was, is the subject of hell. And you need to know that Jesus talked about hell frequently. And in, in fact, it was one of his most basic teachings. And he didn't just mention hell. He described it. Number four, hell, the lake of fire, and outer darkness are all terms describing, describing the final destination of those who reject Christ and or his word. Here's a couple of Jesus' thoughts about hell and the lake of fire. When's the last time you heard a message about the lake of fire? We all want some lakefront property, right? <laughs> going to spend the weekend, going to miss church, to go spend the weekend at the lake. <laughs> you read into that whatever you want to read into it. <laughs> Revelation 21.8 in the Living Bible, but cowards who turn back from following me, and those who are unfaithful to me, and the corrupt and murderers and the immoral, and those conversing with demons and idol worshipers and all liars, their doom, there's that great word. Boy, we love that word, don't we? Doom. Their doom is in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, and this is known as the second death. Now, according to the text, it's a lake that burns with fire, and with sulfur. Uh, sulfur, by the way, is a non-metallic substance that burns with uh, amazingly intense heat, and it puts off an unbelievably foul stench, and it is, by the way, forever. Okay, now you can say forever. It is eternal judgment, eternal damnation. And it burns with this fire and with sulfur. 
And then our scripture here gives us three categories. This is number five on your paper. It gives us three categories of people. I know you guys are thinking, what a great message, Pastor Rick. Three people that will burn. Three categories of people that will burn in the lake of fire. I don't know any way to soft shoe and dance around this subject. If I don't just come to it straight up and straight at you, then I'm afraid of it. And I'm not afraid of it, and I'm not afraid of you. I don't mean that in an arrogant fashion. I'm just saying it's important to preach the truth. And by the way, this is one of the fundamental foundational teachings of Christianity. And we're instructed in the book of Hebrews, to, you guys should be well past that onto other things. That stuff's milk. The stuff I'm teaching you today is milk. It's not even the meat of Christianity. And many of us are going, I ain't even never had none. This is grisly. This is grisly fatty meat. Don't want none of it. it tastes like liver. Number five on your paper, three categories of people who will burn. Those who turn back from following him, also known as backsliders. This other group is a big group. Those who are unfaithful to him, that means they're still pretending to be married to him, but hanging out with other gods. They're also known in the Bible as adulterers and idolaters. And then the third category is sinners who never walked with him. You want to boil it down to the three categories of people that will burn in the lake of fire. It's those who turned back. They're backslidden. They once walked with him, but they've chosen not to walk with him anymore. According to the scripture, you got some lakefront property. Or those who are still pretending to be his, but are straddling the fence between the world and between the word, you have lakefront property too. Or those who have never walked with him, they're sinners, they have lakefront property. I hate to put it so tongue-in-cheek, but lakefront property just sounds better than lake of fire. So... The lake of fire, hell, is eternal. Say eternal. eternal. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Matthew 25, 46. These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous praise God unto eternal life. Somebody say Amen. Mark chapter 9, verses 47 through 48 in the Good News Bible. And if your eye makes you, excuse me, and if your eye makes you lose your faith, take it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to keep both eyes and be thrown into hell. Woo, she's about to get R-rated right now. There the worms that eat them never die. And the fire that burns them is never put out. These are Jesus' words, y'all, not some commentator. He called, it's known as the bottomless pit, so you're going to have this uh, idea of falling forever. Everybody say forever. And the fire will be burning you with intense sulfuric heat and stench 
forever. Say forever. And if that's not bad enough, apparently there are some kind of worms that eat your flesh forever. Say forever. Wow, how many people are like, sign me up! It's like a Disney ride. It's not a Disney ride. It's, it's, it's truth. So things just got a little bit more graphic and a lot more hideous. The worms, I'm sorry, i got to talk about the worms for a minute. The worms that eat these people with, in, in hell never die. They never die. What that means is that they always have something living to eat on. Because the way it happens in nature when a person dies, they go into the grave, the worms, if you will, for this analogy, eat them until there's nothing left to consume, and then the worms die. This means that once a person dies, the worms eat the flesh, as I said, but the worms in hell never die because what they're consuming never ceases either. What do you mean? Listen. You will be in hell feeling the burn of the fire. You will be in hell feeling the acid-like eating away and stench of the sulfur. You will be in hell experiencing a physical feeling of falling forever. And forever there will be flesh for those worms to eat. Wow, man, this is a great message, Pastor Rick. Wow. You sure know how to lift us up and make us feel really good about our Christianity. I'm just telling you the truth of the word. Number six, hell is eternal. Say it. And it is unimaginable. But we must keep in mind, and this is where I'm going to start talking about some good news. Aren't you glad? We must keep in mind that God did not originally create the lake of fire for human beings, his most most precious creation, you and I. The lake of fire was not created for us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So the, the scripture literally gives us an understanding of who God created the lake of fire for. It was for the devil that rebelled and all of those rebel angels that he got on his side. It was created for them. But God is not willing that any should perish. He loves us so much that even in spite of our sin, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He's made a way of escape. Well, You shouldn't be preaching about fire insurance. Well, I can't seem to find anything else that will get you saved. I can preach soft messages and give soft altar calls. I heard a preacher say one time, if anybody in my church goes to hell, it won't be because I left them with anything undone. You heard Pastor Barkley talk about the 50% rule. Remember? One in the field, or two in the field, one went, the other stayed. 
Two in the bed, one went, one stayed. Ten virgins, five went, five stayed. If there's really something to that, only half of you are going. Half of us. Well, what about grace? Well, thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? You know what? Praise God for grace. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29 says this. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and their children. How long? Can I help you forever's beyond living in this world? That if we'll fear God and keep all of his commandments, it'll go well with us and our children, in other words, our generations, forever. Say forever. forever. Notice the word forever. He did not say, excuse me, notice that he said, keep all, everybody say all, all my commandments. He did not say for a season of time, keep some of my commandments. He did not say always keep some of my commandments. No, he said, keep all of my commandments. Number seven, we are commanded to obey his will entirely and continually. You want to, you want to know a definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ? A person who has accepted Christ into their heart, who does everything in their power to obey every one of his commands and to do his will entirely and continually to the very best of their abilities. Can I help you? Casual church attenders, casual Christians, good chance they're going to be sorely surprised on judgment day. That's old school judgmental preaching. No, it's just the truth of the Word of God that most preachers shy away from because they want to be popular. I'm like any other human being. I like to be liked, but I don't have to be liked to tell the truth. It's not just a truth for you, by the way. It's a truth for me, too. So maybe you're thinking, well, I haven't kept all the commandments. Join in the crowd. Join in. Get in line. <laughs> Join in. I haven't kept all his commandments. I'll, I'll be found guilty at judgment. And unfortunately, that's correct. That is correct. The Word of God identifies and proves that every human being falls short of the glory of God. Every one of us fall short of his glory. We fall short of his righteous standard, and we will be found guilty uh, in the judgment. No one, here's my point, no one can ever stand before God and say, I did everything right. I don't deserve any punishment. I got a free ticket in. None of us can say that. I deserve eternal bliss. You and I don't deserve nothing in and of ourselves. We deserve what we get because of the unmerited favor and grace of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. But if we're not living in him and following in him, you can't claim some of the eternal benefits. So the reason for this shortcoming 
that we all have, every one of us, everybody, listen, here's, uh, say, say this with us, and repeat after me. For all, fall short of the glory of God. Is anyone left out of all? It's all of us. Every one of us. Then the reason for this shortcoming is in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, man willfully disobeyed God, and in doing so, he took on the nature of sin, and this fallen nature would be passed down to every descendant of Adam, which is all of mankind. We're born into sin. Okay? Now, out of pure love, praise God, out of pure love for God's amazing creation, he, he made a promise that even though man was fully responsible for his fallen state, that he would send a Savior to rescue us. We sang about it. He came to my rescue. Amen. So, we, you know, there's good news to this whole thing. And the rescue is what? And who? It is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Number eight. This is powerful. This is, this is the cap for all of us, and it is this. When Jesus went to the cross, he took upon his shoulders all of our sins as though they were his and took the penalty of our sins, and he shed his blood, and when he shed his blood, he had the, the ransom price to buy us back, if you will, from the enemy's grasp. And now we have a choice. We have a choice to either live for Christ and to the very best of our human ability with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit do everything that's written in here. Or we have the choice to go, eh, not comfortable with that thing. I think it's okay for me to go ahead and sleep with the person I'm not married to. Even though this says that's fornication. And God will judge it. I know, that's another message. I'll move on. So when we renounce our self-focused life, because that's what the, the finite mind does, it looks at the future based on what's happening to self, and we give ourselves completely over to his lordship, if we give ourselves to his lordship and give ourselves to what he did for us at the cross of Calvary, to the shedding of his blood and to the tasting of death, to his resurrection, it becomes a ransom to buy us back and it also becomes our justification before God. I'll still stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but I will be judged for the works that I have on earth, not whether or not I go to the lake of fire or heaven, but I will be able to make it into heaven. I intend to hear the Lord say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. I don't want to be one of those that stand before him and say, Lord, I preached for you for 25 years plus. I got a lot of people saved. I signed up a bunch of members. I, I did discipleship training class. And to hear him say, depart from me, you vile worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Words depart from me, <laughs> lake of fire. Well, what happens when we accept Christ and all that he said and we depend upon his, his blood and depend upon what he did at the cross of Calvary is the victory that we have in Jesus, amen. Victory in Jesus, sing it, my Savior forever. Well, he sought me and he bought me. Come on. Well, he knew me ere. 
is due him. Beneath the cleansing. See, we accept Christ in the cleansing flood of his blood. We have the victory that our team sang about today. We don't have to fear judgment day. <clears throat> our life as Christians, giving our all to his word to the very best of our ability, should put us in a position to not have to walk in fear of judgment day. I look forward to judgment day, not to have my works judged, because I know there's going to be some works in my life that's wood, hay, and stubble, as the word says. Not all of my works have been gold and silver and riches spiritually. And it's the same for all of us. Amen. There's only one who is good and who is perfect. And that is Jesus Christ. So nothing here expects you and I to be absolutely perfect. Oh, well, the Bible says be ye perfect even as I am perfect. He's telling them, grow up, be mature. Don't, don't stay being babies. Do your best to live a holy life. God knows we're still in an earth suit. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us. We have to give ourselves to it completely. I have no fear of standing before my God on Judgment Day. I've not kept this word 100%. I wouldn't even put a percentage on what part of it I've kept. But there is not a single thing in here I don't believe. There's not a single thing in here I won't allow to dictate my life, whether I like it or not. And nothing. I am a son of God, and he is my father. So although I've given you some scary stuff, hellfire, falling forever, burning, sulfur, worms, judgment, when I stand before the great judge, it won't be like I stood before that Louisiana judge, let me tell you. Because I stood before that Louisiana judge guilty. <laughs> Praise God, I'll stand before the judge in heaven innocent because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me. Somebody ought to give the Lord a praise in the house of God. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for any good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. It's not about any good thing. In closing, praise team, come on up. I know, I, I guess, did you pass on to them all? Yeah, come on up. I want us to sing that song, Victory, again. And can you put the lyrics of that song up for me? I want to just run through them. I'm still going to do a closing here. I know I have more. Uh, is that the first verse? Song of the redeemed rises through the clouds. There's freedom in the blood of Jesus. And darkness trembles at his feet. Satan has no power. There's freedom in the blood of Jesus. There's victory in the cross. I'm breaking free. All my chains are gone. I will sing till my lungs give out, and I'm going to shout now that I've found victory. Oh, how great a love to take my sin and shame. There's power in the blood of Jesus. 
the same spirit that's in me overcame the grave. There's power in the blood of Jesus. Go ahead and do that course again. There's victory in the cross. I'm breaking free. All my chains are gone. I will sing till my lungs give out. I'm going to shout now that I've found victory. Then there's this bridge. What's the, the sin has no hold on me. The power of Satan has no hold on me. Sin has no hold on me. Sin doesn't dictate my life. Do I have to fight sin? Sure. But it's got no hold on me. Do I have to overcome the temptation to sin? Sure. But it's got no hold on me. Is there a possibility that occasionally I might trip up? Of course. But it's got no hold on me. I wish somebody would get this. You may have trouble and you may make mistakes, but it's got no hold on you. You are now free from the curse of sin because it has no power over you. It has no hold on you. Why? Because you're good? Because he's good. Why? Because you do all the right stuff? No, because he did all the right stuff. Because our faith has been in Him. There are two sets of standards for living that we have. One is the world's standards. The other is God's standards. One set by society. One set by God. Our culture may say that you're good to go according to their parameters. And in fact have done everything they could to change aspects of this so that you don't have to abide by it or relate it or change it somehow to their cultural standards. But what does God think? If you really want to be eternity-minded, you should live a portion of your life saying to yourself, what will I say to God at Judgment Day? And what will He say to me? Pastor, we should live our lives with that mindset. Have this mind be in you, the mind of Christ. He taught us an awful lot about this. He shared with us that there would only be five of the ten virgins that actually made it. He shared with us that there's going to be a whole lot of believers, not just believers, but power-packed believers who will stand before him confessing all the things they did. And he'll say, sorry, you don't qualify. Scripture teaches us that all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. It teaches us that no one who, that there's, there's no one who always does everything right. None of us. That's not what I'm talking about today, is that there's this expectation that every one of us just live perfectly. But we should be reaching for it. Instead of reaching for the world and reaching for God, straddling the fence. To sin, what does it mean? It means to miss the mark of God's standard. Not culture standards, but God's standard. And where do I find God's standards? I find it here in His Holy Word. Here's God's standards for my life and for your life. The thing is, is that man wasn't created to be a sinner. Adam chose this course of his own free will. Adam chose to disobey God's Word and he experienced immediate spiritual death 
when he disobeyed God. And even though he didn't physically die at that time, what happened was darkness entered his heart. And he died spiritually. That's what the scripture tells us. And it's amazing. Man sinned against God, and yet God said, I'm going to pay the price for him. Dale, isn't it cool to know that even though you and I sin, have sinned to sin, and probably will sin against him, he paid the price for us. And there's guys like you and me, you and I know each other, there's guys like you and me, and we go, man, I don't deserve none of the price he paid for me. Why? If not for the price he paid. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's time in this day and age that we live that believers stood up and became strong women of God and strong men of God who were willing to pay whatever price it cost to be true disciples of Jesus Christ and to no longer just be church attenders and people who carry the badge of or label, I am a Christian. But how about truly being a believer? What's a believer? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth, believes, the Greek translation of that word believes says adheres to the teachings. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever adheres to his teachings. Anyone, devils believe, and at least they tremble. <laughs> it says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins, catch this, so that we could be made right. Not would be, this is important, but could be. Notice that it says could be made right. We do not receive freedom just because. We do not receive this freedom that I'm preaching about right now until we believe in our hearts that he died for us and that he was raised from the dead and then receive him as the Lord of our lives. Your Lord of my life. That's, that's the kicker. That's when I'm made right. John 1, verses 12 through 13, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but birth that comes from God. We, when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we become spiritually reborn, alive. Light dispels darkness. We die as slaves to sin.